Here's the deal, everybody. I love, love this time of the year. Football is the greatest sport on the planet, and my love for the game grows even more over time. I've got a random story that didn't mean a whole lot to me at the time it happened, but now every once in a while I'll think back and can't believe how much my viewpoint has changed. Back in high school, in the fall, we were just finishing up one of our Saturday practices the morning after a game. And I remember after we did our conditioning, I was walking back to the building alongside my head coach. I was a defensive back. This is probably sophomore year, so I was playing free safety. And the head coach was also the offensive coordinator. His name is Mike Corton. He was the head coach at Champlin Park High School in Minnesota for many, many years before stepping down following the 2017 season. In fact, his first year as the head coach was my first year playing varsity football. Anyways, we didn't have a whole lot of interactions throughout the season, mainly because I was on the other side of the football. But this day, I found myself walking and talking with the head coach, and he brought up baseball. He knew that I played baseball, and I was pretty good at it, which was on purpose because, well, that was the sport I had played the longest and put the most time into during the offseason. And for the record, same could be said for Grant. Back to the story. I remember Corton saying, baseball, huh? You like playing baseball? And of course, I said, well, yeah, baseball's pretty great. Corton then added, I coach baseball for some time, but it's just not for me. I'm just not that into it anymore. That was it. That was the brief discussion we had. And I remember that in my head, I kind of scoffed when he said that comment about baseball. I was 16 years old. I had aspirations of playing D1 ball somewhere and then, of course, making it to the major leagues. And baseball wasn't for this guy anymore. Come on. Baseball is great. I mean, so is football, but baseball was my sport. 15 years later, and I completely understand now where my head coach was coming from. Baseball has been a huge part of my life, but football has taken its place in my heart. When the calendar turns to August and then the fall, I'm in. All in with football. Football is rare. One game a week, 12 games a season, more if you're lucky. Football is all about preparation, outsmarting and outscheming your opposition. Football is also about brute strength and violence. It's the perfect mix of the mental and the physical. Football is the ultimate team sport. It builds character. It teaches you the importance of sacrifice. And to be fair, like many other sports, football builds friendships that last a lifetime because nothing brings people together like sweating, fighting, and winning together. Football is the greatest sport in the world, and it's back. Time to enjoy the ride. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. Three flicker to Mike Bradley. Danny Bradley's son. Bradley's got a convoy. Kiss him goodbye. We go back to September of 2004 for the intro today. Mark Bradley took a double reverse 51 yards to the house as the Sooners jumped ahead of Houston 21-7. OU went on to beat Art Bryles and the Cougars that day 63-13. Hello and welcome to another edition of West of Everest. We're days away from the Sooners season opener against Houston. And today we'll provide what we hope is the most in-depth preview you can find on any podcast anywhere. I pulled a lot of sound from Monday's defensive availability. Let's just say after talking to Alex Grinch, 
I'll be surprised if the Sooners allow a single point this season. Yep, that's uh, the level of hype we've reached now is we're only days away. We do this every year, it seems like, when week one rolls around. Fortunately, though, Grant will be here to throw some cold water on any sort of positive vibes that I may be feeling ahead of this game coming up on Sunday night. Or not, we'll see. In addition to talking about Oklahoma-Houston, we'll go over week one of the college football season. We'll make some picks as well at the end of the podcast. Should be a fun time, and I know at some point Grant does want to talk about Andrew Luck, so we'll get to that towards the end of the podcast as well. If you missed our big season preview pod, I recommend that you subscribe to the show on iTunes, and you can go back to the last episode and check it out. It's a fun primer for the entire college football season. Also, feel free to leave us a rating and or a review when you do subscribe on iTunes. Now that the season is here, The shows will be even better. Plus, we're back to two episodes per week. This one, of course, is the second episode of this week. You can expect the shows to be released on Mondays and Thursdays. If that changes for some reason, we'll let you know on this show. Or you can like the West of Everest Facebook page. We'll put updates on the Facebook page and let you know when the next episode will drop. The show has been booming. We appreciate all the support, all the ratings, all the reviews. And, of course... You can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And also, tell a friend, tell family members, spread the word about West of Everest as the 2019 season is here. All right, let's bring in Grant now for the first time today. Grant, how's it going? It's going pretty well, Lee. Sitting here with a glass of wine. Baker Baker Meowfield is no longer bothering me. So we're good to go. I'm ready to podcast. I'm sure using context clues, some new listeners can figure out what a Baker Meowfield is, but just in case they cannot, can you explain that in five to ten seconds? Baker Meowfield is my cat. He is a troublemaker. That is all. <laughs> just like Baker Mayfield sometimes. All right, I was at the Monday press conference. Lincoln Riley talked. Creed Humphrey talked. Grant Calcaterra and Neville Gallimore talked during the day. And then at night, a bunch of defensive dudes talked, including Alex Grinch. We're recording this, by the way, Tuesday evening out of necessity. Normally, we wait until Wednesday night to record these podcasts, but Wednesday this week, it's a very unusual week. Oklahoma does their offensive availability Wednesday around uh, 5.30 or 6, and I'll be working that. I'll be there in Norman most likely for that, and then I'll probably have to work the rest of the evening, so there's not going to be a time for us to do the podcast Wednesday evening. You think, okay, well, Thursday night would be good because the game's on Sunday, but Thursday this week high school football begins in Oklahoma so I'm assuming I'll be out shooting high school football Thursday evening and so there will not be a time for us to record so Tuesday night the best time unfortunately we don't have the offensive availability if Jalen Hurts says anything important Wednesday it's not gonna be on this podcast but really at this point we've talked so much what else is there to say Uh, and really the only other piece of news that we don't have which will probably be out I'm gonna guess either Wednesday or Thursday Grant is a depth chart, and that's where you should start today. Monday morning when Lincoln Riley was uh, addressing the media, he put a gigantic eyeballs emoji in the depth chart page in the program or in the weekly notes, uh, which is, of course, what he puts whenever Oklahoma gets a recruit. So, Grant, as of Tuesday evening, there still is no depth chart. Do you care at all about this, or should we move on? Well, I mean, I care about a depth chart. I mean, it's interesting. Depth charts actually cease to be interesting, though, as soon as the the very first game of the season kicks off, though, usually. So I think it's going to be one of those things where if we get to Sunday and there's no depth chart, I think we will probably survive. 
what at this point in time, it's only what a handful of positions where we don't know yet. I think right now it's left tackle is the only position we're still kind of wondering about on offense. And that's only because of the health situation of Eric Swenson. And then on defense, it sounds like it's just somehow it's weak side linebacker, Deshaun White versus Ryan Jones, and then Nickelback, Sylvie versus Buki. And then I suppose also corner, because it looks like Jordan Parker is, has kind of come on here in the last couple weeks of camp and, and may take Parnell Motley's job away from him. So that's what we're waiting on, it sounds like. And also throw in just up front defensive line. We're pretty confident Neville Gallimore is going to be starting, Ronnie Perkins. But really, we're not quite sure who else will be there. We have some ideas, but I don't think it's really set in stone. It sounds like the defensive line group has a lot of depth, and everyone's really excited about it. So who knows? Maybe there'll be some surprises on the D-line group as well. The more that I think about it, the more I kind of hope they don't release a depth chart because I feel like on Sunday night when we actually see who's out there, that'll be kind of exciting, right? Yeah, that's a good point. It, it's, sort of, it's it's kind of another yeah. angle to the game that we haven't that we haven't dissected. I mean, what if we don't know exactly who's going to be out there? That's that's kind of a different thing. I I don't know if I'd be totally upset with that. Well, we've gone this long without a depth chart, without football. I mean, what's another few days? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's fine. So, I it's all it is is just fodder for guys like us to talk about. And we're recording this now, and there's not going to be another podcast until after the game on Sunday. So you know what? Whatever, I'm fine with it. But for the record, as we mentioned before, Lincoln Riley has released a depth chart in a uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it in kind of like a showcase type fashion. The past two years, they do like a little the school, yeah, like a Sooner Sports TV bit. Yeah, they've done it. Yeah. So based on that, I would assume that's going to be coming again either Wednesday when this podcast is, or I'm sorry, the podcast is coming out Thursday. So. By the time you listen to this podcast, if a depth chart's coming out, it's probably out or soon to be out. All right, that's enough speculating on the depth chart. The only other thing I want to talk about when it comes to the Monday press conference, and then there'll be other things that we sprinkle in here and there as we discuss Houston, but uh, Riley said that there's one guarantee in week one, and that's that the public will overreact no matter what, good or bad. And I think that's a fair... <laughs> That's a fair take by Lincoln Riley. Real hot take, head ball coach. Real hot take. Yeah, it's a real hot take, but it's also an accurate take because, I mean, let's go back to as early or as recently as last season. We were both, I think, pretty guilty of this following the FAU game. I think we all kind of thought the defense was going to be better and maybe solid, and it wasn't. So whether that's an overreaction or not, I guess you can decide for yourself. But uh, hey, week not one only, will tell us some things, but not everything. Not only were they physically dominant and impressive in week one, they were in week two as well. So With I the think exception all of, of a couple of plays, but yeah. That's, the exception that's true, of a couple yeah. plays. Yeah, there was one really long pass that I remember that was like a dime. But I mean, for the most part, they were pretty dominant and didn't really give up much. And man, did that all come crashing down. And then another perfect example is after Mike Stoops was fired, the first two games against TCU and Kansas State, the defense looked a lot better, looked improved. And then after that, it was just – it was in a lot of ways worse than what it was uh, in those couple of ba- really bad games when Mike Stoops was here and or there in 2018. It was. So, it was, it, it yeah. was worse. It, after those first two games with Ruffin, it was worse the rest of the season than it was – than it had gotten to with Mike Stoops. I mean, they took – they – they went through the ringer. I mean, it that was worst-case scenario. They hit their rock bottom. Okay, we're so close to turning the page on 2018. We have more games to talk about. So let's get the ball rolling here in our Week 1 preview on Houston. 
with this prompt, Grant. So Lincoln Riley on Monday, he said that Houston is a different beast than what Oklahoma saw in the non-conference last season. So again, you all may remember, not not necessarily again, I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but on this particular podcast, we haven't brought it up yet. You may remember at this time last year, Grant, you were pretty worried about Florida Atlantic coming into Norman. And to be fair, I mean, I was slightly worried about the Owls as well. And then the Sooners just smoked them. So I think the first topic we're going to go with today is this. Is Houston another FAU or do the Cougars really pose a threat to Oklahoma? I mean, take into account the Sooners are still a 24-point favorite in this game, Grant. How would you answer this question? Well, I mean, it's, it's almost apples and oranges at this point in time. The reason why I was so concerned about FAU is because they returned a lot of guys off of a team that won like eight or nine in a row to end 2017 and were beating people by 40 and 50 points every week. I mean, killing, killing teams. I think they finished the they finished the 2017 season like in the top 20 of S&P overall and they returned a lot of guys. So it's 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 a little different whereas with this Houston team it is more of the potential. You know when that when when De'Aaron King was healthy last season, uh, he was very dynamic, had a great season. 36 touchdown passes, only 6 interceptions. He uh, he accounted for the most points per game out of anyone in the country last season. Uh, 750 non-rush yards. This is a different beast. He also has pretty much all of his receivers back and a lot of experience on the offensive line, plus an offensive genius in Daniel Holgerson running the show now. A lot of FAU success the, the year prior was due to Kendall Bryles, who, of course, left after that one season at FAU, and they really, really missed him last year, of course, when they went up against OU. So this is this is sort of a different thing. And, of course, I don't think I'm going to fall into the same trap this year um, because, honestly, Houston's defense is going to be terrible. It's going to be real bad, and I don't think there's any any mystery about that whatsoever. So I'm not I'm not necessarily as concerned about this game. FAU last year came came in with some experience on defense. They had played really well the year before that, and they they brought a lot of guys back. The same cannot be said for Houston. This is a bad bad defense. So I think that Houston does legitimately pose a threat to Oklahoma, unlike FAU what we found out afterwards uh did and for the record once it came down to the picking the who I would win that game I believe I did have Oklahoma winning that game pretty comfortably you but did that's yeah enough. That, that's oh. enough patting myself on the back because who sure. really cares at this point sure and I and I, I and I came out too and said how, how wrong I was I mean I I that was, I know, that, was that was the worst it's prediction I've to, ever had in my life yeah it's it's just it's just fun uh but I do really think this Houston team is a, a legitimate threat and you mentioned how it's apples to oranges because FAU returned a lot of a lot of guys and, and Houston has potential. Well, there's one big position that Houston, or that FAU did not return a player, and that was at quarterback. And you may remember, of course, that that guy Jason Driscoll was in the 2017 FAU quarterback. He's pretty good, and he was that guy that won eight nine straight games, and he he was factored in. I mean, it wasn't just a game manager type scenario. He he was really good. But then he randomly left the team following the season. So last year, FAU had a lot of returning players, but they had to start OU transfer Chris Robison, and he was terrible. I mean, he just he hadn't played. He had no experience, and it made the Sooners' defense look a lot better. Meanwhile, though, with Houston, yeah, a lot of potential. that they, Like you mentioned, they do have a lot of players coming back on offense, including, of course, D'Eric King, and he's the real deal, as we've talked about before. 
Alex Grinch on Monday, he called him an elite thrower, said he scrambles to throw as much as he scrambles to run. You add in the fact that the Cougars have all of their really good receivers back from last year. I know that you already kind of touched on that a bit. Uh, we're going to get into more of the, those receivers later on. And then, I mean, Daniel Holgerson makes Houston interesting, uh, even though, for the record, he has never beaten Oklahoma. So I, as we start the podcast, I think it is fair to point out, or good to point out, that this Houston team, even though they're a 24-point dog to Oklahoma, I do think they pose more of a threat than FAU posed at this time last season I yes I I do coming into this year do think Houston does pose a much bigger threat although I was just trying to trying to explain myself last year I think in terms of what had happened the year prior FAU was probably returning a more accomplished team than Houston is this year but of course Derek King and his NFL caliber wide receivers going up against what the last we saw was you know, obviously the really terrible Oklahoma defense, 129th in the country in pass defense, and Tua Tungaviola had no trouble surgically just ripping them apart. Um, this is this, this is a little scary in, in that regard because this is an experienced unit, and they've had some success as well. So um, it's certainly a challenge because Houston's got some guys who are going to play in the league. Well, let's get right into that Houston offense, and let's talk about the key returners for that team, which we've already mentioned a couple, De'Eric King at quarterback. What else is there to say about him, Grant? I know that we talked about him quite a bit back in the kind of the late spring. We did a really early Houston preview. Just a, a recap. This guy missed the final two and a half games of last year. He had a torn meniscus in his right knee. Apparently he feels great now. It's in, That was in the spring, so I'm sure he's totally fine now. Uh, the injury, though, did happen on a non-contact play, although it doesn't matter at this point. Uh, do you remember this, Grant? I was looking back at our notes. Uh, Daniel Holgerson said back in the spring that he was showing De'Eric King a three-minute cut-up of Kyler Murray with the intention of showing King how to protect himself while playing quarterback because Holgerson said that Murray is the best he's ever seen at not getting hit. Hopefully, De'Eric King is not the next Kyler Murray that would be a huge problem for Oklahoma yeah that'd be super annoying wouldn't it yeah that would be really bad because yeah because Dana Holgerson is right Kyler Murray is just a freaking savant at not getting hit he's really good at it so um you know we'll see I don't know I I don't I didn't necessarily see you know a ton of Kyler quality in Derek King outside of the fact that they're both slightly short in stature and run very well um but you know other than that what what scares me the most about Derek Kingley is his he's very smooth and the ball just kind of explodes out of his hand. Um, you had and you had Lincoln Riley uh, explaining that he's a guy who scrambles to throw just as much as he scrambles to run, and I don't know the idea of the idea of Derek King scrambling around buying time for his guys to get open going up against this much maligned Oklahoma secondary kind of sends some shivers down my spine, Lee, just a little bit. I will say, though, I don't think his arm strength is anywhere near that of Kyler Murray's. To no, me, it, no, no. I don't think so either. Right? You said it jumps out of his hand. I don't, I don't see that from him on tape. It, he, he's an accurate thrower. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he can put the ball where he wants to more times than not. But his arm strength is, leaves a little bit to be desired, I think. Which, and uh, to be fair, to though, I mean, if, we're, if, 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 we're, if we're comparing him to Kyler Murray, I mean, Kyler Murray has an elite well, arm. I mean, okay, so. I'm comparing him to... I mean, eh, we haven't seen Jalen Hurts really for Oklahoma yet. I, his arm is obviously nowhere near Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield either. 
we'll see. I we'll see. I guess maybe we'll comment more after we see the game. But yeah, I mean, he's the the main guy you're going to hear about all the time going in this game. He does a lot of things really well. And you know, you again, Alex Grinch talked about how he he scrambles to throw. I mean, he he doesn't just pull it down whenever his first read is gone to run. I mean, he wants to throw the ball, which is a similarity between him and Kyler Murray that you don't see a whole lot to where and also Baker Mayfield too. I mean, because Mayfield's a little little mobile. I mean, these guys keep their eyes downfield and they want to throw. I mean, he seems comfortable from the pocket from what I've seen on film. Uh, I've seen a lot of plays where he begins to kind of feel pressure and he gets slippery inside that pocket. He avoids sacks pretty well and and he does look to throw the ball down the field. He doesn't seem to really panic. Doesn't seem to look to run if things break down in front of him and if he has to, he's an elite runner. He's very fast and, and he'll do it. 63.5 completion percentage last year uh, in, in his first year as a starter at Houston. You know, that's a good completion percentage. I mean, it's not great for college, but it's a really good completion percentage, especially when you consider he throws the ball down the field very well, 8.6 yards per attempt. It's a great number there. A lot of explosive plays from De'Aaron King. And the last thing I have on him is that. He had a great PFF grade, pro football focus grade, at 90.8 last year. We're a big pro football focus podcast. We like it. High grade, over 90 is very, very good. He's an impressive player, and and I know it's annoying. I, I don't want him to be very good against Oklahoma, but at the same time, I think it's going to be fun to watch this guy play because I think I'd like to, to imagine I appreciate good quarterback play, and I think this is a, a guy that falls into that category. Yeah, he's good. I think – I said it earlier this summer. I think he, what we know about, you know, about college football coming into the season based off last year, I think he is one of the five best quarterbacks in college football and arguably the best quarterback OU is going to see this season. So it's obviously a challenge. All right. So outside of De'Aaron King, the other big storyline for Houston's offense is the wide receivers. And the big one is Marquez Stevenson. More than 1,000 yards last year, 11 total touchdowns. He's a track – I mean, I don't. I almost said he's a track star. I mean, maybe he was a track – I don't know. He's really fast. He's a burner. He's not overly big. I think he's listed at 5'10", 5'11", 170, you know, maybe 175. But that guy's a future NFL player. He's really good. And you mentioned that there's multiple players on this Houston t- team on the outside that could play in the NFL as well. Other kind of a couple guys. I mean, what five of their top six receivers from last year returned? The top three though is Stevenson, a guy named Keith Corbin. He had nearly seven hundred yards receiving, ten touchdowns last year. And then That's the only, third guy that was only on forty catches, so the guy gets chunks. Okay. And the third guy is somebody by the name of Courtney Lark. Five touchdowns last year, and from what I've read and gathered, apparently he's a a really good route runner, maybe the best on the team. And he could be a player that kind of fits the Gary Jennings type from West Virginia, where he's just a precise route runner, gets a lot of catches and moves the chains. And we all know he had a fantastic 2018 season. That's high praise if he's as good as Gary Jennings Jr. But uh, those are three players right there that were on the team last season that were very good and they're back and they're going up against an Oklahoma secondary that has a lot to prove. So that's scary. Yeah, I said it earlier this summer. I absolutely mean it. I have not changed my mind at all. The the quarterback and wide receiver tandem here at Houston, every bit as formidable as the Will Greer and West Virginia receiving core last season. Every bit as formidable. How about a running back, Grant? I know we talked about the running back briefly back in the spring, but I know they have their top rusher back, but it sounds like they have a couple of players 
that'll be kind of vying for carries there, at least from what I have gathered. Do you have anything on the running backs? No, I just had Patrick Carr and Mulba Carr, but, you know. Apparently there's another guy, though, a Texas transfer that's in the mix. There's a Texas transfer? Yeah, well, I don't a, know. Dude was... named, a, a dude named Kyle Porter. I mean, it was pretty much impossible. Oh, yeah, Kyle Porter scored against OU two years ago. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, he had five touchdowns for Texas back in 2017. Didn't really do anything last year. Well, seeing as that guess, I don't really yeah. remember him, I don't think he's going to be that much of a factor. And if he is, that's yeah, probably not yeah. a good sign for OU. Yeah, that's true. Or, or Houston, really, because, I mean, when was the last time Texas had a really nice, explosive, scary running back? It's been been a while. You would have probably a better recollection of it than I do. Uh, Jamal Charles, maybe. Ah, was no, Jamal they would, Charles? Nah, they would probably, yeah. They'd probably argue Deontay, Deontay Foreman. Deontay Foreman? Yeah, yeah he, Dante had, he Foreman. had a lot of yards in, in 2013. I think it was 2013. Um, or maybe 2015. Yeah. That was a while ago. That's true, yeah. I mean, he, He's a journeyman he was, in the NFL. Right. So anyway, yeah, Patrick Carr is their, their main guy. He averaged almost six yards per carry. He had five touchdowns. He wasn't a threat catching passes out of the backfield. And I should know this, but in Dana Holgerson's offense, is there a lot of passes to the running backs? I, I don't remember. I mean, because West Virginia running backs, you don't, I don't think about them a whole lot. I mean, well, is that a big part of their offense? Well, if you can go ahead and just and sort of uh, sort of take up some time here, I can let you know. Okay, here we go. Yeah, Kennedy oh, okay. McCoy caught 17 passes last I'm year. McCoy, yeah. So he so caught 17 okay. balls. Tevin Bush caught 14, so that's 31 total. Okay. Uh, so Petaway had six that catches. That's 37 catches. Uh, 39 catches from running backs last year at West Virginia. Okay, so it's not a huge part of the offense, but it's there. And for whatever reason, it just this car guy wasn't a factor at all. He had two catches last season. I mean, we're getting super deep into the weeds, I know, when it comes to some of this stuff like that. But that's what you're going to get. This is our big Houston Week 1 preview. We're going to go detailed into it and all the different players they have coming back and what to expect from this team. Let's see. Next thing. How about the offensive line? We've gone quarterback. We've gone wide receivers. We've gone running backs. The offensive line, you mentioned them briefly with some experience, and that's true. There's experience back on the offensive line. Three players are returning, including both of the starting tackles. But there's a big a big uh, loss on Houston's offensive line. They lost their center, and he was a four-year starter. He's gone. So one of those three returning starters is actually going to be playing out of position this season, and it's a guard moving over to play center. So that means that both guard positions for the Cougars, last I checked, still hasn't been a whole lot of updates since the spring, but it sounds like the, both those guard spots are going to be very inexperienced players. So I think that's relevant. Uh, the center that's gone, by the way, his name is Will Noble. He was a four-year starter, and a guy named Braylon Jones is moving from guard to play center, and so it'll be Jones and De'Eric King figuring things out. So we'll see how that goes. I think... As we get more into it, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it as we get more into Oklahoma's side. But I kind of like the idea of some inexperience in the interior part of that line and Oklahoma's defensive line that's getting a, – a, there's a lot of hype around it, and we're all excited to see how that defensive line plays. That's definitely a position battle to watch for on Sunday. Absolutely. That could certainly be an advantage for OU, especially I'm sure – Part of Houston's game plan is going to probably be try to spread guys out and maybe run into light boxes uh, up the middle between the tackles. That's where Neville Gallimore, Marquez Overton, Dylan Famatau, and, and others, maybe Leron Stokes, if they're going up against guys who have never played or have never started Division One football before, that could be an issue for them, and that you know they could have they could have trouble getting the run game going on the inside. So 
that's obviously always always a big concern, you know, for especially if you're replacing guys up front. But <laughs> OU is also replacing both their starting guards as well. So got to be fair. They got to be fair, but Oklahoma and Houston, they recruited a little bit of a different level. I know. They don't, uh, Bill they don't have Marquise Hayes and, and Tyrese record. Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. So those are, as you can tell, there's a lot of returners for Houston. You think, who have they lost on offense? And really, we've kind of already gone over them. The center, Noble. And outside of that guy, I can't really think of any other players or anything and notable that Houston's lost. Can those, you? Were the, those were their only two starters they lost. We're the two offensive oh, linemen. Okay. Everyone else is go. back. Okay. So not a whole lot to talk about when it comes to losses. So now that we've gone over Houston's offensive personnel, let's kind of turn our attention now to the Sooners' defense going on against the Cougars. And let's be honest, this is what we're all – here for we're all here to see how this Oklahoma defense plays yeah we're interested in the offense too and we'll get to that a little bit later but the defense I think is the most interesting thing because we know Oklahoma's offense has a good track record even with Lincoln uh, Jalen Hurts being new and more offensive linemen Lincoln Riley's so good offensively and Houston's defense is is not expected to be very good so the game might come down to Houston's offense versus Oklahoma's defense so let's move on to OU's defense confidence is high on that side of the ball I don't blame them Alex Grinch has implemented a new system they all believe in it and there hasn't been a game yet so there's no reason for them to kind of be down on themselves or be questioning things so I got some sound from Chance Sylvie and he was asked on Monday how prepared he thinks the defense is for Sunday but I was like on a scale like 10 out of 10, probably be 12 out of 10, um, because it, like we like we go through so many plays just in any given day, uh, just allow us to like we go through the hardest things that we can possibly get. So just the confidence level is already there because we already seen what the opponent can give us, and then just knowing that any scheme, like Coach Green said, any call you give us is no perfect, it's no perfect call, it's just perfect players. Like we make the we make the call. So whatever call you give us, we just ready to play it and just give it all balls to the wall. So I think that's your starting nickel on Sunday right there so I'm happy for Chance Sylvie by the way glad he's put himself in position to start after all he's been through making the Grant, call huh uh, yeah I, I think it is I think that's going to be your starter he came out Monday we didn't see Brendan Radley Hiles Monday which I don't know if that means anything but uh I think Alex Grinch goes with a little bit of experience first but I do think Radley Hiles will play as well oh and yeah I'm hearing a little bit I'm, I'm hearing this also from Dusty Dvorak that's kind of what he's thinking as well so I'll have to go ahead and give a little more credit I, I was kind of thinking that anyways based on what we heard last week but talking to Dusty this past weekend he does he thinks that there'll be one of those things where a lot of different guys do get shots in this Alex Grinch defense but uh but yeah the soundbite from Chance Sylvie 12 out of 10 confidence level because he thinks that they've seen so many different plays and they've gone through all these difficult things that his confidence level is high so as you can tell again that confidence is up there although I will say Alex Grinch did make a point to say that confidence is earned you don't just say you're confident you have to go out there and you have to prove it on the field and you can be confident right now but it might not mean a whole lot considering they haven't played any games so take that with a grain of salt Chance Sylvie though is confident what do you Anything, think any comments on that that soundbite what do you think that confidence number goes down to the first time they give up a 60-yard touchdown pass? And that, uh, maybe oh, 10 out of 10? Ha it's happening, baby. It's happening. Just, I think just get ready. I 12 to 10. Because it sounds like Grinch is making sure that they are aware that, yeah, things happen. And I sent you some notes that I took from the defensive availability, and all the guys were asked about, hey, what happens whenever – you guys give up a big play because big plays happen. It happened a lot last year. How are you going to react? And, for instance, Patrick Fields, 
talked to him for quite some time on Monday, and I kind of liked the, a lot of things he said in, in, in the category of big plays and confidence level. You know, what happens if that you guys give up a big touchdown or a big play? He, Patrick Fields acknowledged that, yeah, they're not immune to giving up big plays. You can't play a perfect game and stop every single play, so you can't be surprised if the other team makes a play because they've got scholarship players as well, and they have guys that are trying to make the NFL as well. So he just kept saying he, he acknowledged that. He said we've got to be resilient. You got to have the mentality that you got to beat me the next play. Yeah, that happened this play, but you got to beat me this next play too. So it it's in their minds. They they know that they're not going to be perfect and, and they're going to give up plays. So I do think the the first play they allow, I think the confidence level will still be kind of high. I guess to answer your question, man, I would hope so. I mean, a lot of guys on this defense who are super used to giving up plays like that. So. Um, and also they have to know who they're going up against. And this isn't, you know, this isn't 2001 anymore. You know, you can still have a really good dominating defensive performance and still give up 400 yards and, and, you know, four touchdowns like that. That's a thing now. So, you know, hopefully it's, it's not going to be too bad, but I mean, yeah, Houston's going to make some plays. They practice too. So, and they also have some, some guys who are professional level players. Um, it's, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I just, I'm, there's so much to look for on this defense. And I think all of us are, are sort of taking a, a wait and see approach. Um, but it's, it's going to be really hard to get a good idea of what they're going to look like until we just, until we see them play because they've been, there's been so much secrecy over the course of the, uh, of the off season. And I don't think anyone knows really what they're going to look like. So this is the part of the show where I'm just going to play a bunch of sound bites from the defensive availability because we're so close to game time, and there were some interesting things that was said by defensive players. And I mentioned Patrick Fields. He said something about a screen pass that I thought was great, and he prefaced it by talking about how he wants this Oklahoma defense to be a top-10 defense. He wants to be top-10 in forced turnovers. And he said that they just want to, they want to cause chaos. Let me speak here. They want to cause chaos. They want the offense to have to work extremely hard out there whenever the, def- the Oklahoma defense is on the field. Uh, but listen to this quote about a screen pass, and I want to get your thoughts, Grant. Coach Grinch says, it, like, whenever you think about it this way, if an t- offensive team, they run a screen pass and they throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage, it, it, it's crazy to think that they should get positive yards off that, them throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage and then get positive yards. So it's like, I think we just want to take, you know, the chaos approach and cause chaos to offenses and, um, you know, just beat constant pestures and, you know, run them down every single play. Grant, your first thoughts when you hear that quote. I mean, I know what he's saying, but the idea of a screen pass is that you get the defense to overcommit. Therefore, the pass behind the line of scrimmage is not as risky. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I get what he's saying, but still. But isn't that kind of funny, though? It struck me. It's like, you know what? Yeah. I mean, they're throwing it behind the line of scrimmage. Why should they get positive yards? They, but kind of with they're that. They're making a decision with, to throw it back there. Stop them. With I mean, that, that logic, though, you should never run the football. And honestly, if you're in the NFL, you should never run the football. Always that's, throw it in the NFL. That That's a good point. That is a logical rebuttal. That just stood out to me. I kind of thought that was funny. No, but I'm it does more, speak I, to the th- chaos and them getting the up chaos, field and making the plays. Chaos. Yeah, this is what we've been saying for the last two years. It's like, you guys, I mean, we know we're going to get burnt. We know we're going to give up a lot of yards. Why don't we just play aggressive as humanly possible and get guys behind the line of scrimmage? And that so, I mean, that, that's... That, that's what we've that's what we've just been clamoring for for years now. 
And so, I mean, that's obviously nice to hear. It's kind of therapeutic to hear a little bit. Well, I got another piece of audio to play, this time from Alex Grinch, that will also be nice and potentially therapeutic to you. We're talking about chaos, talking about constant pressure. The hope, of course, is that turns into a lot more forced turnovers in 2019 for Oklahoma. Grinch talked about on Monday his turnover goal is more than two per game, which he did acknowledge, hey, I mean, that's hard. I mean, more than two per game gets you to the top of the nation. They get you close to, you know, 30 turnovers forced per year, which, I mean, you're top 10, you're top five, you're you're one of the best in the nation. So uh, Jason Kersey from The Athletic, he asked a question. He clarified Alex Grinch's stance on turnovers. And, again, that led to an answer that I think that we're all going to like. So if you leave the game Sunday with zero or one, that's going to be disappointing. Extremely disappointing, and there's yeah. no excuse for that. You yeah. know, and so we're, what we won't do is we won't come in uh, after, after a game and say it's okay. It's not okay. Again, you, you uh, have an opportunity on every single snap uh, to get the ball. The ball doesn't know. It's supposed to stay in the running back's hands. It doesn't know. It's supposed to go from the quarterback to the receiver. I know I've said this before, but I'll just keep saying it because it's yeah. true. So, no, it's, it's an inexcusable thing to come out of a, a game. And I've been there, so I'm not, 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 not yeah. suggesting I, I – I, I haven't, you know, yeah. but uh, no, that, that's something that, that that's a must. I love that. I love that soundbite. I do like that bit. The, the, <laughs> the bit about the ball doesn't know whose hands it's supposed to be in. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, he said that at his very first press conference back in January, and he acknowledged it. He said, yeah, I know I've said this before, uh, but he's drilling it into his guys. I mean, he it's all it's not all mental, but it's there's a lot of mental mental stuff going in that these guys haven't heard before i mean alex grinch when he is the coach the defensive coordinator that ball is our ball we go get it every single play and we're going to see on sunday if it actually works out on the field but so far in practice what we've heard he is backing it up the players are saying he's backing it up and not surprisingly they've all bought in which uh i just I really enjoyed that, and, and the very beginning of it, we said extremely disappointing. There's no excuse for that. I mean, there's no excuse for only forcing one turnover in a game, which that's a mentality that needs to be set. The standard needs to be set. It's not there right now, but if it starts happening and the, and the results happen, Oklahoma, the defense, they're going to expect to get these turnovers, and it's, when you expect things to happen, you're going to be in position more – you're going to put yourself in good spots, and you're going to force more turnovers because that's the standard, and that's what Alex Grinch is trying to do. He's trying to get that standard to the point where 11 turnovers is laughable, and it is laughable, and that's never going to happen again. You got 11 turnovers by the midway point of the season. All right, I want more. Th- I want more than that. I don't know. Three three turnovers per game sounds great. Yeah, Lee. Do you I mean, think Lee, more than? Do you two? think if they have exactly three turnovers in every game, like three takeaways in every game, they'll win the national championship? Yes, I think I think they will too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think you probably say mean, that to be fair about a lot of teams that have the kind of talent Oklahoma has. <laughs> yes, that is very true. Do you but, think if Kansas yeah. had three takeaways per game, they would yes. they would go to a bowl game? Yeah, I do. I mean, three you know throw, what? That's, I that's think, really good. I think this is debatable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because didn't I they mean, have a lot last year? Oh, that's true. They they have really good. But the thing is, though, like more than half of them came in their first two games of the year. They forced like five or six against Central Michigan, and then I think they forced something like three or four in the next game. I mean, they had like nine or ten, I think, in the first couple of games of the season or first 
first three games of the year. And that no, in this scenario, I'm in this scenario, I'm putting forth that they're going to have exactly three takeaways in every game this year. So if they played 15, that would be 45. That's a lot. I feel like that would maybe be a record. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this wouldn't be a West of Everest podcast episode if we didn't give you a Jalen Redmond update. Grant, I got to tell you, it's sounding more and more like Redmond is going to be out there on not only on Sunday. I didn't say that right because it sounds like he's going to be out there Sunday. I, I got to learn how to talk here. Well and done. Not just, not well just done. be out there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I deserve that. Uh, it sounds like he might have a solid role as well. Let's listen to Alex Grinch talk about Redmond, and this is from Monday. He'll be in, in our front. He'll, he'll yeah. play a vital role for us uh, uh, from from a uh, uh, front standpoint. You know, yeah. I think he's a guy with uh, you know certainly ability to run. He's also a guy that didn't practice for a long, long time. Right. But uh, you know, I commend him. I mean, he's also been a guy since he's been healthy. He hasn't missed a day. He hasn't missed a rep. I mean, all he's done is work at it. So, uh, no, we're excited about him, and uh, I know he's excited to, to get back out there. And we'll kind of make a decision. You know, typically 48 hours before the game in terms of what rotations that we have. And so, mm -hmm. we certainly uh, envision him having the. the, the uh, impactful role for us defensively so three things I take away from that number one Grinch acknowledged that Redmond is going to be a part of the front on the defensive line that wasn't that wasn't admitted last week because he said they were still trying to figure it out so that has been admitted he's a part of the defensive line number two since he's been healthy he hasn't missed a day hasn't missed a rep that's huge that means that he's still taking contact still practicing hopefully tackling and doing everything that he needs to do like everybody else out there is doing. And then number three, just the fact that he says that they envision an impactful role for him defensively. All signs continue to point straight up for Jalen Redmond. And even Lincoln Riley mentioned at his press conference Monday that he's excited to see. He mentioned these both, both these guys in the same sentence. He's excited to see Laurent Stokes and Jalen Redmond play. Grant, Redmond's going to play on Sunday, it sounds like, and I am so pumped to see him. And, yeah, also Laurent Stokes, but mostly Jalen Redmond. This is going to happen. I love it. Everyone's going to be so surprised when Jalen Redmond is the starting, like, strong safety or something. Like, or when Jalen Redmond walks out there happen? with – Or when Jalen Redmond walks out there with shorts and, like, street clothes oh. on, and we're like, what is going on? I mean, would that I surprise that you at all? Wouldn't surprise me. It would me. slightly surprise me, but I wouldn't be – I, I wouldn't like faint or anything just based on, uh, you know, I haven't seen everything, but. And also, man. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say Alex Grinch describing Jalen Redmond as being part of the front. That 100% means that he's part of the defensive line. The jack position is certainly part of the defensive front. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm just, I, I, I think he is on the defensive line. He hasn't been yeah, mentioned not as really a, a jack position in Alex Grinch's. He doesn't call it that. It's. It's different. It's the rush linebacker spot. No, but Is we're it calling the, same it the jack because that's what that's what that's what general football knowledge calls the rush linebacker <sighs> I just, position. I don't like the. I don't like. Oh, what do you want to call it? The spinner. Actually, I, uh, the spinner actually might be better. To be honest with you, the spinner. I haven't heard that one. That's you never heard that one. No. Maybe I just coined that and I didn't even know it. I don't yeah. think so. Okay. Well, either way, it sounds to me that Redmond's going to be on the field on Sunday and hopefully playing significant snaps. That would be great. It would be lovely. I, I, yeah, I hope so. And I'm, I'm at this point. Like, I, at this point, I'm more curious about Leron Stokes because I know he's gonna, he's probably gonna start and play a ton. I, I'm still not sure on Jalen Redmond. Yeah, although again, I'm pretty positive. I feel pretty good about it. I think it's fair to to be 
skeptical still about Redmond because it's only been not even two full weeks maybe since we did see him in, in shells going through contacts. And Alex Grinch does always bring up, hey, he hadn't practiced a lot. He's just getting out there. He's still raw. He's still trying to get back into it. So that certainly factors in as well. All right. I have a couple more pieces of sound to play that's not in the script. I don't know if you want to hear it or not. One of them is from Alex Grinch. question I asked him about goals for Sunday. Kind of long. The other one is from Patrick Fields just talking about just acknowledging that, hey, you know, it's all been talk up to this point. Now they got to prove themselves. Does any of those pieces of audio sound like you want to hear it, or should we just move on to the uh, Oklahoma offense taking on the Houston defense? What do you think? Lee, you are the proverbial captain of this ship. It's up to you, man. I'm always I'm always down to listen to Alex Grinch talk. You can say what All you right. want about Alex Grinch. Dude has never coached a game at OU. He may be he may be run out of town after like half a season, but he's really likable. He's really fun to listen to. So you might as well play an audio clip. All right, you may have seen this one going around Twitter Monday night because Eddie Radosevich from Sooner Scoop put it on put it on his Twitter account, and this is partly my question, Grinch's answer. And then Eddie asked a follow-up that got a, gave him a really good answer. I don't have Eddie's follow-up here, but I, I will give Eddie credit because he put this online first. Uh, but this is uh, the question I asked Alex Grinch, and, and there's a lot to this answer, but some of this stuff is going to get people fired up. When you haven't seen your guys play against an actual team yet and you're still on this new defense, can you set goals for games? I mean, do you do that? I mean, turnovers per game, you know, yards, point. I mean, is that something that happens, or can you do that at this point because you don't really know what you're going to get yet? Yeah, and then we, there's some, some goals that we have in-house, and we keep them in-house and those things. But, but certainly from an expectation standpoint, you know, there, there's a reason you practice those 15 days in the spring. There's a reason these guys gave up their entire summer. There's a reason we, for the last 30 days we've been working our tails off. Um, so what you don't do is say, well, all that now doesn't matter, and, and you know, performance is is less important. No, it, it, that's we've committed a year of our lives up until this point to, to to play defense at the University of Oklahoma, and not to be dramatic, but I don't know how else to describe it. You know, there's a, there's a move on my part, family move, kids moved. These guys again spend a, a lot of time in this facility on that field, working their tails off, and it's for one thing, one thing only, is to to perform at the level that. Uh, that uh, uh, is expected at uh, a place like this. So, um, no, from a goal standpoint, uh, the goal is to hold the one less point than, than uh, our offense scores, but uh, that, that's the chief goal. Um, and then beyond that, we'll continue to evaluate as we go. The part when he talked about how he moved his family here, essentially to – he didn't say it this way, but the way I read it was he moved his family here because this is an opportunity to get the Oklahoma defense back to where it's supposed to be because this – university has such a high standard and it hasn't met it recently and how he did not to be dramatic but hey all these guys put all this time in like what are we doing here we're here to be really good and win football games so that I love that that was a great answer yeah part of it was at least what did you think that fires me up a little bit for sure and it is that part where he talks about the family because everyone can relate to that Everyone knows what it's like to put a lot of hard work into something. And so I think when he says that, it instantly clicks. Um, but also at the same time, he, he talks about internal like goals. You know, he keeps, they, they keep them in-house. I don't know, Lee, you think they're, uh, think they're putting bounties on guys? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Alex Grinch is the second coming of Greg Williams. He's, he's just like a, he's a Greg Williams clone. <laughs> That's where you went with that? You think... <laughs> you think yeah, they uh, honestly, Downy my, Gate, NCAA style. 
My fr- my my first thought was like bounties, oh but they're giving gosh. out but but they're giving out candy bars instead. They do do candy bars for turnovers and and strips and stuff like that. Oh man, I wonder if they get uh, even bigger candy. Well, like, I think they get they get king size candy bars anyways. I wonder if they get like the massive like novelty candy bars for turnovers forced in actual games. No, that's that's <laughs> that's that's some that's some rookie stuff right there. What they really would need are like the 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 individual packages now of the small like little bite-sized ones that aren't even wrapped that you can just just pop. Those are way better than any sort of king-sized ones. I mean, those are great. Those are like crack. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Uh, like seriously, you offer you offer me one of those things to go like to you know to go out and like perform and do something on the football field. That is going to happen. Nothing will stop me from getting a package of like little mini Snickers. Nothing would stop me. That so are, I'm just they're saying not, they're not individually wrapped, and you can just pop them in. Oh yeah, I, just saying. Just like they might Alex as well be Grinch. popcorn. Alex Grinch, man, think about it seriously. Just hey, man, just think about it. We're just asking you to think about it. Just consider it. Sleep on it. Uh, I will say. Eddie asked to follow up, just kind of, hey, like, does that, do you still kind of get that feeling in your stomach on game week, things like, you know, get you going, and, and uh, just to kind of paraphrase what Grinch said, and the part that I like the most, Grinch said that, you know, I'm a bit different. I like the week before the game more than I like the game in a lot of ways. I think I know that's you when you that. win it. I think that's when you win it. If there's any magic, it's found in Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Man, oh, you better believe I love that because he's exactly right. You win football games during the week in the preparation. And I know most football coaches think that and subscribe to that. I just like hearing it out loud from Oklahoma's defensive coordinator, especially considering he's got a nice track record coming in. And we don't have anything to rip on him yet for because they haven't played a game. I love it. I mean, that is at the very least, that is incredibly refreshing, is it not? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going over my notes. Uh, did you read over the notes I sent you? Or did you care to see that? I mean, is there yeah, anything I actually, that stands out I to you that we did. haven't gone over yet? I actually did read the notes. So, <laughs> I want to go over them just to make sure we haven't skipped over anything uh, that I found to be interesting. Um, no, I, I have some of the stuff I got later on when we talk about what we, what we want to see happen, what's going to happen, things like that. A couple... Not a couple. One nugget. He said that Spencer Rattler has been used to simulate De'Eric King in practice. Okay. I mean, that seems that I mean, surprising. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't he be? Other defensive note. Uh, I think you told me about this off air that it was reported by, I think, the Brainiacs a week or so ago. But uh, Jaqueline Crawford is now a cornerback. So that is official. He has moved from a wide receiver to cornerback. So one of my wide receivers that I really was excited about especially after how he played in the spring game. He's not going to play wide receiver anymore. He's he's over on the defense. So. And it's not just you. Oh, I well. was excited about him. He, he looked great in the spring game. Yeah. And I, I, I just can't help but thinking, or help but think, oh, God, that wide receiver room just must be... Must be just stacked. <laughs> insane. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and Jaqueline Crawford's not some sort, like, you know, two-star scrub who came from you know class a football in west texas i mean he was like he was a four-star top 250 guy yeah he was a good player he played at uh kind of a lower level texas high school football he played 3a at rockdale 
But again, I mentioned before on the show, not recently, but he was one of the few guys that, that Oklahoma has recruited recently that I did see play in in high school because he was part of our coverage area back when I lived in Texas and covered Texas A&M a lot. And he's a really, he was a really good player. And I was excited whenever he signed with Oklahoma because I selfishly, I thought, oh, I actually know this kid. I have seen him play. He's really good. Where a lot of the guys, you know, we're not a recruiting podcast. I don't follow recruiting that closely. They get some random guy from California or a guy from Louisiana. I haven't seen this guy play, so okay, great. I'll take your word for it. Uh, Crawford's one of those guys that I actually had seen and, and I liked. So, uh, but yeah, it's a good point. That receiver room must be pretty loaded if he has been switched over to potentially get better playing time on the defensive side of the ball. And I guess let's just hope that Jaqueline Crawford is the next Andre Wolfolk. That'd be pretty Ooh. cool. It's a deep poll. I like it. I mean, I was going to say, it's like I, I could have said the same thing about Micaiah Quick like three years ago, and it most, that most Please. certainly did not. Don't want yeah. that to happen, no. <laughs> All right, let's flip sides. And I don't have anywhere near as much on this because, again, the Oklahoma offense is going to be interesting. It's got a lot of new faces, but it's Oklahoma's offense. Lincoln Riley's calling the plays. There's a lot of talent there, and Houston's defense is not supposed to be very good. But let's jump into it. Grant, uh, this, I have this question in the rundown. It doesn't really apply. I mean, what do you want to talk about when it comes to Oklahoma's offense? Do you want to talk about what we expect to see from Jalen Hurts, or is that going to be part of later in the show? Or how about the yeah. offensive line? I mean, how on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being you're incredibly confident in the way the offensive line will play on Sunday, where, where are you at, 1 to 10 on the offensive line? Maybe like a 7, probably. That's fair, yeah. Um, because I think that's good. Because I'm I'm obviously very confident in Creed Humphrey, and I'm really confident in Marquise Hayes and Adrian Ely as well. I think those three guys are. I I think those three guys. You, you're Creed for sure. The other guys, I I think you're going to see those three guys on the All Big Twelve team at the end of the season. So like, I mean, I I think they're that good. Um, so I I have a lot of confidence in them. Of course, I have some question marks about left tackle because we have no idea what the heck is going on there. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I did, I was taking some notes and I, I did formulate this question. We, we could maybe start here. Like, how do you think OU's offense should attack Houston? Like, can, do you want to, do you want to do that or? Okay. So you did prepare for that. Yeah. Cause I was going to talk a little bit about that later on, but I'll just, I'll repeat it. I, I mean, I kind of like the idea of Oklahoma coming out and just getting Jalen Hurts comfortable and throwing it a little bit and having Lincoln Riley scheme and, and devise some open throws for him to kind of get his blood flowing. But at the same time, I also kind of like the idea of Oklahoma coming out and just running it down Houston's throat because Houston's run defense was so terrible last year. And it's not going to be good again this year. At least it's not supposed to be good. So either way you slice it, I want Oklahoma to come out and, and get uh, – I guess if you run the ball, put it this way, you throw the ball, you're going to get Jalen Hurts comfortable, hopefully. And then if you run the ball, you're going to get those offensive linemen kind of comfortable, get their blood flowing. Because, yeah, they'll have to pass block, too, obviously, in pass plays. But we know Lincoln Riley calls plays, quick pass plays, get the ball out of Jalen Hurts' hand. Uh, pass blocking is not going to be as much of an issue as, I think, run blocking and, and getting the run fits and getting that design and, and that zone blocking scheme. So, I kind of want to see both. Uh, what about you? I don't know. 
this is okay. This this is interesting because I know we all summer we've talked about how we think the offense is kind of boring at this at this stage. We just don't really know what it's going to look like until we see Jalen Hurts out there. But really, Lee, outside of Jalen Hurts, who is Oklahoma's best offensive player? CD Lamb. I want them to feed CD Lamb the rock early and often because I honestly I want other teams to be scared of that guy. <laughs> I, I want CD Lamb to be the focal point of the offense. I think they need to leverage that advantage. And he's your best player getting the ball. Get him the ball. So this kind of comes after the fact now you mentioned this a while back. You wish that or you think that if Lincoln Riley could go back in time to that Orange Bowl, you think that he would have designed a lot more, not necessarily designed, or just basically been like, hey, Kyler, just feed the ball to CD. Feed the ball to Because we saw that later in the game after Oklahoma guarantee had fallen it. behind by four I touchdowns. I guarantee you, if, if, he, if he could go back uh, that first quarter, all he would do, he would, he would look to get the ball in CD's hand all day long. Yep. So you subscribe to the straight up, hey, this is a one-on-one game. You're better than the other guy. Beat him. Put the ball in a spot where you can make the play, but ultimately it's up to the wide receiver to beat him. Which I, I'm with you. That's what football is a lot of the time. It's you know, but at the same time though, if it's if you're not getting one-on-one matchups, if they're playing a zone or something like that, I'm not sure if that can work every single time. Well, but okay, yeah, not, you can devise I, okay, plays not, to get him the football. I, I, I'm not I see what you mean. I'm not saying in the first 20 plays of the game throw it to CD 15 times. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just kind of sounded know, like what you were saying. Well, establish him. <laughs> Establish them. That's all I'm saying. Like yeah. play action, play action is going to be effective without them honestly running it effectively because I'm assuming that Houston's game plan, like it is, like everyone's game plan against OU is going to be stop the run. And I understand that's what they're probably going to try to do. Um, will they be able to? Who knows? I don't know. But play action is going to be successful. Um, so I would not be surprised if that's how they come out and they they try to get Jalen Hurts into a rhythm early. Um, and then try to wear them out later in the game with the offensive line leaning on the run game. But really, this is this is what you get with this OU offense and how many how many weapons they have. They can really attack any defense, however the heck they want. I mean they 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 have the talent, they have the skill position guys to do that. Uh, we're talking about obviously Oklahoma against Houston's defense. Let's just throw out a couple of things to back up how bad we think Houston's going to be. Last year, they're the 115th ranked run defense in 2018, and their top two tacklers are both gone. And at the second level, at the linebacker level, their two best linebackers or two top tacklers are are out, and their third linebacker is gone as well. So they're going to be incredibly inexperienced at linebacker, and these guys' first game is going to be against Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley's offense, so that kind of seems to bode well for Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, and going up against the GT counter, that's tough on linebackers. I could, Yeah, I could see them maybe trying to, to establish that early, but, I mean, nothing's going to surprise me. They can, do, they can do anything they want. And OU's going to run the ball a lot in this game. That's what they do. That's, that's kind of the basis of their offense. But um, Lee Houston also, they don't, they lose all of their corners, like their entire two deep at corner. They lost. Yep. They lost their. They lost their starting nickel. They do return their two. Uh, their they they return two safeties, but no. I mean, just not a not a lot of experience returning on what was a bad defense last year. And of course, someone could argue that that's maybe a good thing. They don't return a lot of guys on a bad defense, but eh, that's honestly not really how it works when you when you're when you're not in the power five, generally speaking. 
Defensive line is kind of interesting with Houston. Not a whole lot on them. Yeah, a guy named Isaiah Chambers that was injured for a lot of last year who's considered to be a pretty good player. He's back. Obviously, Ed Oliver is gone, but he was kind of beat up in and out of, of their lineup last year. I don't really know what to expect from the defensive line. Probably not a whole lot, though. I mean, it's kind of a wild card on this Houston defense. But, yeah, in the back end, they're inexperienced. I know they're trying to uh, – Dana Holgerson brought in a lot of JUCO guys, which I think he did a lot at West Virginia as well. That's kind of one of his things. So we'll see how they play. I, there's, there's a lot of question marks and unknowns in the Houston defense. The defensive coordinator, Joe Cawthon, comes over from Arkansas State. Lincoln Riley talked about him a little bit on Monday and, and kind of referred to him as one of those hot – if you – I don't know if he said hot shot or kind of up and coming, you know, defensive coordinators from last year. So he, he said some nice things about Joe Cawthon. He switches the, uh, switching the Cougars from a three man front to a four man front for whatever that's worth. But really, Oklahoma's offense should be able to move the football against this Houston defense. It's going to be inexperienced, not very good anyways, and pretty much overmatched, at least on paper. And you mentioned the running backs and the GT counter that Oklahoma likes to run a lot. Lincoln Riley did mention on Monday, which after all the talk we've had, and I remember, not remember, I listened to our, our season preview podcast a couple of days ago. Yeah, I listened back to him just to make sure, you know, we sounded good and things like that. We, you mentioned that, hey, you're not that worried about the running backs, Grant. Well, Lincoln Riley mentioned on Monday that he thinks that the running back depth is maybe the best that he's had since he's been at Oklahoma. And that's not that surprising of a statement considering what we know to be in that running back room right now. And you lose a guy like Rodney Anderson to the NFL and the depth is maybe the best it's ever been. Man, that's pretty awesome. Well, I mean, they lost Rodney in the first quarter of game two last year and then it was Sermon and Brooks that carried them the rest of the way. So yep. it makes sense. And, and Sermon and Brooks, production-wise and uh, pro football focus-wise, were the two best running backs in the Big 12 last season. So... Um, did you see, Lee, that they were uh, Brooks and Sermon were Pro Football Focus's second team All Americans at running back? I didn't see that. I missed that. That's awesome. Yeah, they're very highly graded. They like they were they were both in the top three in the country last year and forced missed tackles. By the way, hmm. so like that's that's good for a running back, isn't it? Being able to yeah, force missed tackles. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure David Montgomery was up there too because that guy. Had a lot of missed tackles. And I, I, I can't remember if I actually, uh, I can't remember where I heard it, but I think I think Trey Sermon currently is the fourth uh, active rushing leader in the country. He's, he's fourth in the country in active rushing yards, I believe. That's great. Things are looking good for running backs in Oklahoma. Another thing about the Oklahoma offense, and I should have brought this up whenever we were discussing Jaquil and Crawford's move to corner and, and how deep that receiver room must be. Trey Brown was asked about covering wide receivers in practice other than C.D. Lamb and just kind of what he thinks, if anybody stands out to him. And take this for what it's worth, but Trey said, well, there's not really one guy who stands out because they're all neck and neck and they're not all that far off from C.D. Lamb. <laughs> I, I mean, that's – can come you on, imagine? Trey. Come on, Trey. Trey, uh, come on. Come on. <laughs> come on. I guess no. we'll find out. I Like I – I, I appreciate the enthusiasm on his part, but come on. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I could see Grant Calcaterra being pretty good, kind of close to CeeDee Lamb. He'll be in the yeah, NFL he's good. next year, too. He's good, but I, he counts no. as a wide receiver. I mean, if they're if if they're all just kind of neck and neck and all like 
and all as good as CD Lamb, then <laughs> then I mean, Jalen Hurts no. gonna have fun this year. No, come on. <laughs> all right, anything else on this matchup between Oklahoma's offense and Houston's defense, specifically that you want to get into before we get into the final part of the Houston preview? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm going through my notes real quick, but I don't necessarily um, don't necessarily see anything. So we can um, we can certainly go on to the next thing, which is which will probably cover most of my notes anyway. Sure, and that's what I was going to say too. Is that if you can't find it right now, you might get to it when we get to the next two categories. And we always do this at this time of the podcast when we're proving a team. We always like to say, "All right." What do we want to see happen on Sunday? And I always preface this by saying, yeah, we all want to see Oklahoma win, but let's be specific. What do we want to see? How do we want Oklahoma to win? What are certain guys we're looking out for, certain players, certain things schematically that that we just want to see from Oklahoma? So that's the first category. And then we go to what will happen. What's going to happen? And that's when we make our our score prediction, which we'll see if Grant decides to make a score prediction or not this year. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. I have a score prediction, just throwing that out there. Uh, And that will be it, and then we'll move on to the rest of the podcast. So, Grant, let's see. Do you want to go first or second on the want or will? like, Would you prefer to give your your game prediction before me? Or, like normal, I'm making this way more complicated than it needs to be. Sure. Well, let, let me just let me just go into this. I'm going to tell you, I'll, I'll, I'm going to kind of split the baby a little bit because I also want to go into some just things that I'm going to be looking for specifically as well, and then I can go into to what do I what I want to see happen. And I know we already talked uh, about the defense about 20 minutes or so ago, but um, this is a lot of this is going to be just recap. But um, I, I'm really curious to see what the defense is going to look like as a whole. And I'm specifically going to be looking at the, the defensive line, specifically stemming, moving pre-snap. That's not something that we saw in the spring at all, and we know it's a big part of Alex Grinch's defense. So I'm really curious to see what that looks like in practice. Not like I had in, totally in, even forgotten about that. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, that's how little we've we haven't seen it, and nobody was really talked about it because we haven't seen any film or anything like that. So yeah, that's that's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. And and then also, and we touched on this a little bit, really curious to see what the personnel groupings look like, uh, as well as just the rotation of players. I, I want to see, you know, what are they, what is their base defense going to look like? Is it going to be base nickel? Is it going to be base, like, are they going to throw a dime out there every now and then? I, I, I'm really curious to see what the groupings are going to look like in terms of the personnel. And then also, um, I can't believe we got through this entire podcast without mentioning this, and this is specific to the defensive backs. Lee? Will they turn their head to look for the ball? <laughs> that's serious. Well, I'm dead serious. Well, I did see a drill a week and a half ago. The last time we were able to go out to practice and watch the first 20, 25 minutes when I watched the cornerbacks exclusively, they were doing a drill where they were getting their hands on guys at the line of scrimmage, running with them at the hip, and turning their heads to make a play. They may have done that. Whenever Ruffin McNeil was a defensive coordinator and Kerry Cooks was here and Mike Stoops was here, they may have. I don't recall it because we don't get to see practice. But for what it's worth, I did see the cornerbacks doing that a week and a half or so ago. That's a good sign. Okay. Yeah. And then also, I, I want to know, like, just just small stuff. You know, how much press are they going to play? Um, also, you know, will, will they will they maybe commit a safety over top of of Marquez Stevenson or something like that? That's something that I'm increasingly becoming a big fan of, especially in the spread ISO 
era where a lot of the times uh, offenses are just are just matchup hunting. I like doubling their best receivers and best players and stuff like that. So we'll see if they'll if they'll go that far. I'm not sure, but uh, just some stuff to look for. All right, that's pretty good. So I will go now with what I want to see happen, and then I'll let you piggyback off of that when I'm done. I'll start on the defensive side of the ball because most of this will be defense. I want to see the defensive line win a lot of battles up front, considering that Houston is starting two inexperienced guards. Neville Gallimore, Laron Stokes, uh, Marquez Overton, Dylan Famatahu, all those inside players. Just go nuts, man. Just go. The center, he has starting experience, but not at center. He's been a guard his whole career. I want to see some penetration, some havoc up front, if Ronnie Perkins and maybe even Jalen Redmond, if he's in there, or Marcus Stripling can get around the edge, you know, hey, even better, even better. Alex Grinch, he mentioned a lot of eye discipline over and over and over Monday night, and he referenced that when he was talking about the linebacker group and the defensive back group. De'Eric King, we all know, can do it all. There's going to be a lot of misdirection. The back two levels of the defense must be disciplined. I want to see some good discipline there, and Talking about eye discipline, turn your heads, as you mentioned a second ago with the defensive backs. I want to see what Grinch, uh, I'd like to see what Grinch wants to see, which is more forced turnovers, specifically more than two forced turnovers. It's a home game. It's in prime time. Put the pressure on the opposing team and let's just see what happens. Because even though Oklahoma is going to be the the massive favorite, Houston, if you put a little pressure on them, they're going to feel the pressure. On the offensive side of the ball, I want to see him run it. Run the ball, run the ball at will against a run defense that was ranked 115th last season. Get the offensive line feeling confident. Let them to start to gel as soon as possible. And again, that being said, because I mentioned this earlier in the show, I'd also like to see Jalen Hurts hit on some big-time throws. He needs to see that this offense can elevate him. And in a perfect world, Tanner Mordecai and then Spencer Rattler are both taking snaps in the fourth quarter. So that's what I want to see happen in this game. Grant, what about you? All right. I got to bring up my notes. Sorry. Okay, here we go. So I'm going to piggyback on you a little bit. Obviously, on defense, I want to see havoc. I want to see guys in the backfield coming from unpredictable locations. Give me, give me at least two takeaways and at least four sacks. I, I just, I, I want to, I want Houston to be uncomfortable, and I want Oklahoma, I want Houston to play offense on Oklahoma's terms and not vice versa. I also want to see Neville Gallimore and Ronnie Perkins dominate in their one-on-one situations. These two guys are very important to the success of the defense this year, and they're going to need to win those matchups consistently if OU is going to improve over the course of the season. It's going to start with those guys. They are your best defensive linemen. Um, I want to see a large rotation of players. Depth is good. If the defense is performing well and there's waves of guys being rotated in, this is a really good sign. Um... Obviously, and then all and and I I obviously just just mentioned this a couple minutes ago, but I want to see defensive backs playing the ball, turning their heads, not getting lost and whatnot. And I don't want to see guys looking at the sidelines with their hands in the air right before the ball is snapped. It will I will be very happy if that has been completely eliminated from Oklahoma football, and I never have to see it again. Um, and then moving over to the offense. Um, I just want to see a continuation of what we expect from that unit. I think it's reasonable to, to to expect some hiccups on the offensive line, but this really is a defense they should ultimately handle with ease when it comes down to it. Um, and I mentioned it earlier, I want to see C.D. Lamb established early and often 
want other teams on the schedule to fear the guy, feed him the rock, and I don't want them to turn the ball over. I think if all of those things materialize, we're going to be looking pretty good on offense. That's some good stuff. Well thought out, well-reasoned, well-measured. Now we get to the most important part of the podcast. What's going to happen on Sunday? That way you won't even need to watch the game because we're going to tell you what's going to happen. You just go on, hang out, enjoy your Labor Day weekend. Maybe DVR the game, go back and watch it later. You want to go first, Grant, or second? I'll go first. All right. And I'm going to make it short and sweet. Here's what's going to happen. OU's going to come out. They're going to establish their offensive dominance early. Houston's going to keep up a little bit, and they will, so be prepared for that. But the OU defense is going to settle in at some point in time. They will make some plays, despite giving up a good chunk of yards every now and then. Lee, OU wins 52-34. to They're not going to cover the spread, but bet the over. That's the winning bet in this one. All right, I like that you pick Oklahoma to win, obviously. I'm kind of the same as you, but not really. So I think the Sooners start fast on both sides of the football. I think Lincoln Riley, and I don't think, I, I know, Lincoln Riley, and we haven't talked about this at all in the podcast, he's made a point since he's been the head coach to drill into these guys that they need to be in midseason form in week one. And as you remember, it all started back in 2017 when Oklahoma had Ohio State in week two. And this game, of course, is going to bring back memories of 2016 when Oklahoma wasn't ready out of the gates and was upset by Houston. I mean, that was the game that that got Lincoln Riley and I guess Bob Stoops for a moment, you know, to get that thought process of, okay, this can't happen again in week one where we come out flat and get beat. We got to be preparing in fall camp like by week one, we are in midseason form, ready to go. And it worked out. In 2017, obviously, they opened up against UTEP, like a preseason game. Then they beat Ohio State in one of the best games we've seen in a long, long time. 2018, they came out on fire against FAU, played UCLA really well, and then beat Iowa State, and things started to kind of crack and crumble. But the point is, Lincoln Riley drills into these guys' heads that, hey, you're coming out ready to play, ready to go in week one. So I think knowing that, I think Oklahoma scores early. I think the defense gets stops early. De'Eric King, again, coming off a knee injury. He's healthy now, but I think there's going to be some rust there when it comes to true game action. His last game was in mid-November. The Sooners' defense has been bad, but there's talent on that side of the ball, I think, especially up front. I think King's timing is going to be a little bit off, which will help out the Oklahoma secondary against all those really good wide receivers. I'm not confident, though, that Oklahoma's going to defensively be solid all game long so you know you mentioned that you think that Oklahoma's defense will be kind of slow out of the gate but then settle in I kind of think that they'll be pretty good at first really solid and then Houston will kind of find some ways to get some some points there in the middle portions of the game uh, so I do think Oklahoma will give up some points a couple of days ago I was talking to my coworker Brian and I said Brian I'd be happy if Oklahoma can hold Houston to 30 or fewer points I haven't changed my stance on that. I think the Sooners do accomplish that goal, but barely. I think Oklahoma beats Houston 59-28. to Gabe Burkage kicks a field goal at some point. OU plays its backups late and still moves the ball pretty well with those backups. Admittedly, this kind of feels like a bit of a homer pick, but I think Oklahoma flexes its muscles a little bit Sunday night and does cover that spread and puts a pretty good whooping on Houston. Lee, how do you think the crowd is going to be early on? It's a whiteout, if you remember. And for whatever reason, a whiteout typically brings out the best in a crowd. 
I so, think it's gonna be great early on, and yeah, no, it'll I'm be even better because I again I think both sides of the ball are gonna start fast and play well at the start of the game. So it'll be it'll be rocking. The weather will well, be I mean, nice. Just think, I mean, j- just think how uh, how electric that crowd would be if if they got. You know, if they got a couple stops on Houston to start the game, I mean that place oh, would be would be pretty loud. Yeah. yeah, I mean it would. It's tough to invoke Texas Tech of 08. Okay, but. stop, 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 <laughs> stop. Uh, yeah, I think you're. The only yeah, time you're. Of, of course, you're right. It's tough to inv- no <laughs> stop. <laughs> How is that ever going to be beaten? Is is the Red River rivalry going to have to be a home and home and Texas coming to Norman for the first time and no, both it'll be teams beaten. are ranked? It'll be the beaten the first. One, uh, it'll be beaten the first year that the college football playoff expands and they play on campus. Uh, that's a good that's one when too. it'll be beaten. That's a little more likely to have happen than the Red River rivalry turn into a, a home and home. I hope so. All right, so Grant and I both think Oklahoma's going to win. Grant thinks OU's not going to cover. I think Oklahoma will cover, by the way, the, the spread. God, what is it now? 24, 24 and a half? Do you know off 24 the top of your and head? a half, last I saw. 24 and a half. That's a big one. It opened at, I believe, 28 and a half, so it's gone down. Not a, not a full touchdown, obviously, but, but close. Close to, a, close to a full touchdown since the start, uh, since the opening line. All right. So, hey, I mean, that was a, an hour, hour 10, hour 15 on OU Houston. Hopefully you enjoyed that. We still have some more to go on the podcast, though. Let's talk about the Big 12. The rest of college football, at the very end of the show, we'll talk about Andrew Luck a bit because that was one of the most shocking sports stories in, in a long time. Grant, Big 12, not a whole lot of games really going on worth watching this week because basically the entire conference is playing FCS teams with the exception of OU, OSU, and Texas. What's up with that? I didn't even yeah, realize hu- that until the schedule. Not a that huge sucks. fan of that. Generally, yeah. a, generally a, a, a pretty big bummer when there's a lot of fcs games on the schedule and i and of course ou playing an fcs team next week i'm not a fan of that at all and and i know and i know just joe castiglione doesn't want to either and i know they're they're generally forced into situations like that just because of cancellations and stuff i think this may have been the seasonly that lsu canceled on them actually Um, i didn't know lsu canceled on them yeah and they were and they were kind of scrambling so i get it they probably didn't have any other choice, but man, if I was an AD, I would just try my absolute best never to schedule one of those games. And again, you made the point. Joe Casiglione makes a point not not to schedule though. He doesn't want them either. So yeah, it and just, I, it and must like, have happened that way. Yeah, and I I would like there to be some sort of uniform rule amongst the Power Five that that nobody plays those games. But that I mean that I'm sure that'll never happen. But um, well, I think it's those just FCF, not FCS schools likes that payday. Oh, uh, sure, get, sure, you know? sure. I mean, there's, there's, there's reasons they happen, obviously, but um, they're just they're they're not great for the sport. Well, here's the thing: at least if you're gonna schedule one of them, make it a the true cupcake and not a team that could potentially challenge you and make the score close or maybe even beat you, like happened obviously way back in the day with Michigan. So uh, it's gonna be yeah. Anyways, though, Oklahoma State at Oregon Thursday night. So at by the Oregon time this State. podcast Oregon is out, Oregon State, not Oregon. Oh, oh. Very, very important. Oh, jeez, my bad. I said Oregon. My bad. Yes, the Beavers. It's OSU at OSU. Yeah, and the Cowboys are a fourteen-point favorite. I, I like Oklahoma State. I mean, how could you not? Oregon State's been a dumpster fire for a handful of years. 
Mike Gundy is in the preseason. He's talking about how he thinks back to last year and how he kind of got complacent a little bit. The discipline wasn't there, and he's trying to start anew this year. And I think Oklahoma State comes out, puts up a lot of points, and Jim Knowles and that defense in second year, you know, that's a havoc-based defense as well. I can see them kind of giving Oregon State some fits. So I like Oklahoma State to win that game, and I like them to cover that 14-point spread. What do you think about that one? That's care? honestly one. That's uh, yeah, I care. I'm going to be watching that game on Friday night for sure. Um, this is a game where the the line is kind of fishy to me, which tells me that Vegas thinks that Oregon State maybe has a chance to be competitive a little bit. Hmm. And um, Oregon State, they you know, terrible, terrible last year. I'll go to S and P. They were 111th overall in S and P, 126th on defense. Um, but they do, they did do one thing on offense, kind of well last year, Lee. They were explosive in the running game last year. They were twentieth in rushing explosiveness last year, hmm. um, and they returned pretty much everyone on offense. So you got an Oklahoma State defense that is really aggressive up front. Oregon State put up like forty on Ohio State in September last year. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And yeah. um. And who was the assistant defensive coordinator for Ohio State in that game? Well, it was Grinch, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, and, you know, this is a late-night game. It's on the road in Corvallis. Who knows what the crowd is going to be like? But um, honestly, as of right now, Lee, I am leaning towards having – I think think Oklahoma State's going to win, but I think Oregon State's going to cover, actually. Mm, All right. Just because it's it's because it's it's definitely one of those lines where, where I think Vegas knows something. Last note on this game, you know which big time defensive player now plays for the Beavers, Grant? Well, no. You're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, Addison Gums. <laughs> Is he? I mean, he's got to sit out a year. I'm sure. I think last year counted as a year he gets sit out because he left before the season. Really began. interesting. I think, he's, I think he's eligible to play right away, or at least this season. So. Watching the game uh, on Thursday night, I can't. I mean, I bet he's starting. I, I mean, I'd be shocked if he didn't start. I'm sure he's fully recovered from his. I think it was an ACL he had. He didn't play. So. Yeah, he tore his ACL. So, so I mean, hopefully he. You know, best of luck to Addison Gums. I hope he plays well. I hope. I mean, that sounds great. Yeah, I hope he yeah. starts and I hope he does well. The only other game, Big Twelve wise, that involves two Power Five teams is Louisiana Tech going to Texas. The Horns are a twenty and a half point favorite and i mean this game is interesting for obviously because texas is playing but also i mean la tech is not a pushover they got a returning quarterback has experience you know it's a three touchdown ish spread but yeah i'm we're certainly be interested to see how texas plays because of all the talk all the hype yeah i mean that's a game that i'll certainly be paying attention to as well on saturday yeah for sure. I mean, I don't really have a ton to say about it. Um, no, I mean, me neither. It's more of line, just like, hey. Line seems a little low, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm sure they're, I mean, they're factoring in Texas struggled against teams that, frankly, weren't very good last year. So they're probably trying to bake that into the cake, at least Vegas is. So mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I expect Texas to roll in that game. And I'm sure, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Texas wins by, like, five touchdowns. And, man, they're... Their heads are going to get pretty big down there in Austin, I think. <laughs> All right, so before we make our picks, we always do five games against the spread, and that's kind of where we, we make picks, but also we talk about the biggest games of the week. And honestly, this week, it was kind of difficult to find them. I, this has been one of the, the worst 
week ones as far as matchups go. I think it's one of the, the worst, one of the worst opening years. weeks I've I've seen in a long time. Yeah, yeah it's normally not, not week a great one weekend. is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, great. It's a great weekend because college football is back. But in terms yeah. of, of of marquee matchups, uh, it's it's a bit on the lighter side. But if you look ahead into subsequent weeks, we got some really good weeks coming up, just with a lot of interesting stuff. So let's first touch on a couple of these games that you put down here, the games that we're not going to pick but are just kind of, hey, keep your eyes on these games. Could be interesting. One of them, you have UCLA at Cincinnati. Obviously, Oklahoma plays UCLA in a couple of weeks. This, is, this game was in L.A. last year, and Cincinnati went and beat UCLA, I believe, by a touchdown or maybe yep. 10 points, something like that. Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a game to pay attention to because Cincinnati is supposed to be pretty darn good this year. And they're going to play Ohio State in a week or two, and that's going to be a game worth watching. And obviously, we want to see what Chip Kelly's UCLA team looks like in year two. What do you want to say about that game? No, I'm mostly just interested just because UCLA is on OU's schedule. Right. And okay. their UCLA is a, you know, they bring back a lot of experience from last year, and they're starting the season on a road against a team that is also very experienced and has high expectations. So, uh, I'm curious to see how UCLA is, is just going to come out and react. And you know me, I mean, I, I put UCLA as OU's trap game this year. So mm-hmm. I am, I, I'm generally just really curious to see what they're going to look like. We got an SEC conference game in the opener between Georgia and Vanderbilt, that game in Nashville. I mean, just the fact that it's a conference game is interesting. Vanderbilt, I'm sure, is not going to be very good like they normally aren't. But uh, They were I mean, a bowl team last year. Okay, yeah. Baylor, remember Baylor beat them in like in the Texas oh, Bowl that's or right. whatever it was? That's right. Yeah. You're right. Um, okay. Oh, and I forgot to put the line in there. I think I think Georgia is a is like they're I think they're 21 and a half point favorites. Really? It's that low? Yeah, and so actually that's the thing. I was I was maybe thinking to 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 go Vanderbilt in that situation to be honest with you. Oh, okay. Well, just I mean, I mean it's, just, a, it's a conference game. It's week one, so maybe conference I'm, game on the road. But at, it's at Vanderbilt. That's not that's not necessarily no, a road game. No, in fact, there, there might be more Georgia fans there. All right, ESPN's got it at Georgia minus twenty two. So you're pretty close. It may have moved since the last time you saw I, it. Yeah, it went up since this morning. I think. So uh, I mean, this next game though, you have uh, you know, a little Pac twelve after dark. It's pretty interesting because USC's hosting Fresno State. Fresno State's been. One of those really good non, you know, I guess group of five teams. USC is a 13 and a half point favorite. What do we expect from the Trojans? I mean, we both kind of like their quarterback whose name is escaping me right now. JT Daniels. Is it Daniels or Daniel? I can't remember. It's Daniels. We both kind of like him, but I think people out in the national media aren't really sold on him. I know I mentioned Petros Papadakis. You know what? I shouldn't. Maybe I didn't hear that right. Never mind. I. He's a USC guy. I can't remember if I heard him say he's not that high on Daniels or if I'm just making that up. I could be making that up, so just forget what I just said there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's a good Saturday night game. If, obviously, you're still going to watch college football, check it out because USC and Clay Hilton, that's the team that yeah, I, that could be a dumpster fire this year. Yeah, and, and I think it's mostly interesting because, you know, we talk about USC and we talk about Florida State. I think the two Power Five teams that have really bad head coaches – but they made uh, they they both made really interesting offensive coordinator hires. Graham Harrell at USC, and of course uh, Kendall Bryles at Florida State. And I think I think JT Daniels with like the skill talent they have, especially at receiver, could maybe really work in, in that air raid in that air raid type thing. 
But of course, they're always going to be fighting against a, a, a Clay Helton-led program. Clay Helton's a really bad football coach, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I don't, I, I don't really expect him to to last the season. But if he does, it's going to be because of Graham Harrell. Yeah, that is interesting. Both those guys you mentioned, yeah. And we'll get to Florida also, State here in a minute. Yeah, and also it's interesting because Fresno State they won twelve games last year, and they've won they've won like twenty three games the last two seasons. Have quite a bit of turnover, but typically when you win like that, that's maybe evidence of a of a fairly strong program. And uh, that that line is kind of interesting. So I pretty big, sorta, pretty high, right? I'm sort of yeah, sort of playing around with with maybe a, a Fresno State bet there. Jeff Tedford at Fresno, he's been doing pretty well there. I mean, he's like one of those California guys. Didn't he used to coach at Cal? Years yeah, he was ago, Cal, and I think he was at Cal when Aaron Rodgers was there. And that sounds so, right. Yeah. Hey, he's twenty-two and six at Fresno State. So man, he's in in three years. Yeah, he's doing well. All right, so now let's get into our picks and full disclosure. I would not go out and bet these picks because I haven't done my research yet. But we had oh, to record and. I haven't picked any of these yet, so this we're doing this live. Like I've been, okay. I, I've been looking at these lines for the last like couple weeks, and I just I can't figure them out, man. So you and I are gonna have like an on-air production meeting right now, basically about just kind of our thoughts about this, because I I just I mean I I don't know. These are tough. These these games are tough to pick. Well, for the record, I have already marked down my picks, but I did it in about five minutes, so I can't imagine i'm gonna have a whole lot of reasoning to back up my picks aside from kind of general uh generality is that a word general it's, statements yep yep generalities is a word it's <laughs> it's it is uh it's pronounced differently depending on which region you're in and, and the dialect and whatnot but oh thank you yeah thank you google.com all right uh first game we got a thursday nighter is this the holy war utah and byu is that this rivalry game you know it you know it. And so right off the bat, we got the Holy War. It's at BYU. The line we're going with here is the 14th-ranked Utes by six on the road at BYU, who's unranked. And I got the old Cougars. I'm taking the points, the home team plus the points in, in a game that's a rivalry game. that They played pretty close recently, but I guess Utah has won the last eight, I think. Could be wrong about that, but it's it's Utah's won a bunch in a row. But uh, since it's week one, both are going to be super excited. I think each team is pretty experienced. I'm just going to take a flyer with the the home team getting a almost a well getting a touchdown, but not the extra point. I'll go with BYU plus a six. What are you feeling? Yeah, I'm I'm not taking BYU. This was this was the one that I was actually pretty sure on. Uh, take take Utah for sure. Um, you got BYU coming in, and you know they were. They were 6 and 6 in the regular season last year. They won their bowl game, but they were 72nd in offensive S&P. And you got you got Utah coming back who maybe, you know, has one of the best defensive lines in college football, uh one of the best defenses in college football coming back probably. I I mean, I think I think Utah is probably going to be able to shut them down cold pretty well. I think Utah wins by a couple scores. All right, so that's a Thursday nighter. Next one is a Friday night game. We got 19th ranked Wisconsin laying 12 points at South Florida playing at Raymond James Stadium. I can't remember. Is that South Florida's home field? Or is yeah. that? Yes, it okay. is. They do play there? Okay. So it's a home game for USF. Wisconsin laying 12 
and begrudgingly, I'm going to take the Badgers because they had a bit of a down season last year. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not the biggest Charlie Strong guy. He's he's okay. I think he's a better coordinator than he's a head coach. And I, I think Wisconsin have a lot to prove. They're going to be physical. I'm going to lay the 12 points with the Badgers, but begrudgingly. What about you? Well, see, this one's tough for me, Lee, because I think Wisconsin's season basically rests on who they decide at quarterback. And at now, I, I I don't see that they've made a decision yet. So if they if Whoever they trot out, he's not going to be good. If if well, no, I mean if they it, it's between it's between Jack Cohn, who is the guy who who started a majority of their games in the second half last year, and the and the true freshman Graham Mertz, who is a who is uh who is the top fifty player in the country and is like the best quarterback Wisconsin has ever signed, and he came in in the spring. Um, if they roll out Jack Cohn, this Wisconsin team is going to go eight and four again, seven and five again. He is just he's he's a very bad quarterback, and I don't Google I know I don't mince me, my say Google's telling me that Wisconsin named Jack Cohn the starter. They did a day ago. Okay, um, that that was that or was probably not not particularly smart on their part. Um, <laughs> I don't I, I just I, I don't understand that. I mean, obviously the coaches are watching practice every day, but that guy is he's he he provides nothing to them. Um, but at the same time, you have Wisconsin who has Jonathan Taylor. They got they got a couple guys back, a, a couple of highly highly thought of guys back on the offensive line. Um, you know, Wisconsin is going to have a strong running attack. Lee and South Florida had really one of the worst run defenses in all of college football last year, and I just don't think that's going to be fixed in a matter of one season at South Florida. So, I, twelve points for Wisconsin against that defense, that run defense, seems pretty doable to me for Wisconsin. So, I, I I'll take I'll begrudgingly take Wisconsin, although I I hate, you know, taking taking Jack Cohn as a as a as a double digit favor on the road. He's not good. My goodness. Yeah, I remember him being less than enticing or less than exciting in the the few starts he had last year or whatever. See, I just, um, What's his name? Who's the lefty that he got? He was injured, I think. Uh, or did he Hornybrook. Get Hornybrook. Hornybrook. Yeah. Hornybrook's now riding the pine at Florida State. So not a, not not a great decision, Alex. <laughs> um, okay, so we. Each, I, I just. Oh, go yeah, ahead. I guess I, I don't. And this is more now philosophy. I, I just I don't understand when you know the guy you're picking, you're not going to get much out of him in the pass game, and seventy five percent of the time he's just going to turn around and hand it off anyway. Why on earth don't you just why don't you just play your true freshman who has arm talent? It makes no sense. Well, hold your thoughts until you actually see him play. Maybe he has improved and become a great quarterback between the 2018 season and the 2019 season. Very doubtful. <laughs> uh, all right, so we each begrudgingly take Wisconsin minus the 12 points. Let's go over to Northwestern. At number 25, Stanford. This is our first Saturday game we were discussing here in the picks category of the podcast. Stanford's laying six and a half at home against Northwestern. I'm going to grab those six and a half points only because I've heard, I believe this was a Petros Papadakis thing here. He's my West Coast guy that I like to listen to a lot. Apparently, Stanford's not supposed to be very good this year. Like, they're not that excited about that team, that Cardinal team, even though David Shaw's a good coach and I think they have their quarterback returning if i'm not mistaken uh, i'm gonna base my entire pick off that plus you know pat fitzgerald northwestern it, it's a good coach and they're getting six and a half so i know it's a, a long flight and everything like that but it's week one they'll be excited it's a yeah it's an afternoon game but that's fine but i'm gonna grab the points here and take northwestern what say you i'm gonna take stanford 
uh, mostly because, Lee, the 2018 Northwestern Wildcats were one of the luckiest teams in college football history. <laughs> and I just think it's it's probably going to gonna even out a little bit. Uh, Lee, they won the Big Ten West last season, and they finished 68th overall in S&P. 90, the 94th S&P offense, 30th on defense. They do return some guys on defense. I know Patty Fisher is back. But uh, frankly, Northwestern was not very good last year. They were not a good team. Um, and they were very, very <laughs> Yeah, fortunate. but this is this year. Come on. Well, I know this is this year, but like it, this stuff evens out. I mean, there's correlation between the years. I know. So they, I just want to reiterate, in, I am not confident in really any of these picks because I haven't done a lick of homework or, or reading yet. So go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. No, no. I mean, that's that's the I mean, that's the rationale. We're going into week one. We don't know a ton about these teams. We haven't seen them play yet. We can only go off of what we know from last season. And last season, Northwestern was a was a was an average to blow average, very lucky team. And Stanford was a good team that was unlucky. So you know, I <laughs> I'm going to take Stanford. I think the luck is probably going to even out. All right, two more games to go. Our next Saturday night game, six o'clock. Central time kickoff. We got Boise State at Florida State. This is interesting. Florida State laying five points. And again, without knowing much about this, I'm going to go ahead and just take the plus five with Boise State until Florida State shows me something reliable or that they know what they're doing out there. I'm going to take a team like Boise State that has a track record as a good group of five team getting points. I'll go with Boise State just out of principle. How about you? I'm going to go with Boise as well. I've been on Boise in this game for a long time. Like when this, uh, when the when the spread first came out, little hesitant now that I find out that Boise State is going to start a true freshman at quarterback in this game. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't, I don't think it's given enough, you know, enough thought of just how bad Florida State was last year. Uh, they they weren't they were not unlucky. If anything, they were lucky to win five games last year. They they can't block anybody. I just I, I can't imagine that that's going to be turned around in one year. I'm sure Kendall Bryles will really help, um, but I'm not sure if he's a miracle yeah. worker at this point in time. That's just a I, I I have to go with Boise. I mean, they're based off last season and what we know going into this year. They're the clear better team until we know otherwise. Boise State's got their starting quarterback. His name is Hank. I mean, come on, that's awesome. He's got to be good, right? I mean, that's the uh, I, that's the insight I have. Ugh, that's not not great insight, man. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if you're a Willie Taggart guy, you got to be thinking that he'll figure it out. But uh, we're not quite there yet with Willie Taggart. He's got to show us something because he hasn't really shown much really at all in his entire career as a as a head coach so yeah lee i i'm looking at I mean, florida state last year it's not like they were just like a sleeping giant who ran into some misfortune i mean they finished 71st in snp last year worse than northwestern uh they went five and seven and the stats second order wins which is basically how many wins that you're expected to have based on your stats they were they were expected to go four and eight with their stats last year i mean they're not not a not a good team all right, our last game is the biggest game of the weekend. That's a 6.30 kick on Saturday. Number 11, Oregon, taking on number 16, Auburn, a neutral site game down in Jerry's World in Arlington. And I think we're both going to be on the same side of this one. 
this is a begrudging pick though because I don't particularly like really either one of these teams, but I'll take the talented SEC team over the the Pac-12 team that we kind of have question marks about that we talked at length a length uh, about in our big season preview. I'll go with Auburn laying the three and a half. I don't like the hook there. I don't like that there's a half point there, but uh, that's there for a reason because it's giving you a little extra. It's making you pay a little extra for Auburn, but I'll I'll take the Tigers. What about you? Also taking Auburn, uh, multiple reasons. One, I, I do think, you know, Florida notwithstanding, I think Oregon is, is, is almost certainly the most overrated team coming into this season. Um, and also, just in these early season matchups, I'm taking the SEC team until one of them loses. And I know that's not particularly scientific, but <laughs> I, I, I think history is on my side there. All right, that's our picks for week one. We'll keep track of all that stuff all throughout the season. It's just for fun. Grant and I might uh, play some legal bets here and there, but uh, week one, not feeling all that confident. I'll just put that out there right now. I'm not sure if you are either, but hey, that could change by you know Thursday, by whatever the first game is kicking off. I could be incredibly confident. We'll see. All right, lastly, before we go, I know you wanted to talk about Andrew Luck. You mentioned him on our big season preview pod. We went long. We went long again on this one, but hey, we're here. Might as well. You're a Colts fan, Grant. I'm not a Colts fan, but I do like Andrew Luck. He's a great quarterback. He's fun to watch, just the way he plays. It was it was annoying to have him out that one year, and it was just great having him back last year, and he had maybe his best season ever. Right? Correct me if I'm wrong. By far. I mean, yeah, yeah, by far his best season. And he's just he's a really good player, and, and I know that you were super excited, too, moving forward because of Frank Reich, and he actually had a coach that, that helped him out and was able to scheme some things, and, and it seemed like the offensive line is – well, not necessarily better, but I mean the way the offense works, he wasn't getting hit as much. He only took what eighteen sacks last year, something like that. It wasn't they're very certainly many. better. I mean, they're they're a lot better. They were they were great run blocking. That they were not not quite where they need to be past. And I know they gave up the least amount of sacks last year, but a lot of that had to do with scheme and getting the ball out of yes. his hand quickly. So all those reasons, I'm sure you were incredibly excited. Granted, you found out he was injured or whatever, that probably made you a little bit worried. But now you find out on Saturday. Andrew Luck retires. He's done. So, what I mean, did you believe it? Like, how did you find out? So, I was at a bachelor party this weekend, and we were all out at the, uh, we were at the bar, and we were all actually just kind of sitting there. We were watching Miami and Florida. And um, we were, uh, my buddy, he, he tossed me my, uh, he tossed me his phone and on there was the was the ESPN notifications uh, with Adam Schefter's breaking you know breaking report, and I looked at it for a second and I, I thought it was a joke, I, I didn't I didn't know what was going on like it was just, it was just a notification on a screen and I was like, well I mean that's not right that's some sort of like Photoshop that he did or whatever yeah. and then so I, I go on and I look and then that's what that's the only thing everyone is talking about, and so um, I I guess the the best word to describe it would just be shocked I was shocked um yeah. and then uh so i i don't know how, how did you feel and, and i know like my I, i've had a big range of emotions with this and my my thoughts have definitely crystallized in the days afterwards and but what like when you first saw it lee what, what did you think yeah i mean shock's the best word i did the same thing that a lot of people do i mean i I'm on Twitter and I saw the tweet and you, you check to make sure that it's got the blue check mark and it's not a fake Adam Schefter Twitter account. And I actually I was sitting I was working on a story and I wasn't really paying attention to the football game and 
I was at work with Steve McGee, who covers the Thunder for us at News 9, and Brian, the guy I was talking about earlier that works there. And I think it was Steve that just said, like, oh, Andrew Luck retires. And I was like, what? What are you? No, that's. What are you talking about? How, like, it's a, so I kind of, that was a joke too. And then I went over to my computer and, anyways, so yeah, I, I didn't really know what to think about it. And the first thing I thought of uh, after a couple moments was just, this is, to me, this is like when Bob Stoops retired because I did not see Bob Stoops retiring at all. Like, that came out of nowhere to me. And I thought that was the most shocking sports story of my lifetime. And I think this was right up there with it, maybe even more shocking considering. He's in the prime of his career. He's not even 30 yet. I know he's had some injury issues. So, I mean, that's a huge, re- that's the reason why. But still, you don't expect a guy to try to retire. So, I mean, I, I'm sure your feelings are a little stronger than mine because you have uh, an emotional connection to the team. I don't necessarily have that. I just like him as a football player. But, man, that just sucks for Colts fans because you have this guy who's incredibly good. You have Super Bowl aspirations, and all of a sudden, you got to start over again. And I can't imagine you're that excited about the Jacoby Brissett era because why would you be he's fine but he's nowhere near as good as Andrew Luck well sure okay so in that in that regard I have I have just a few things I want to touch on and then and then we can we can wrap this up so first of all I thought it was really interesting um, right after the news broke and as the night transpired and then the day after and the days leading after sort of the emotions that that have come and gone through everything and of course it was the big story on Saturday night when it broke about the indie uh, the indie fans booing him off of the field and whatnot and you got you had all of the blue check mark sports journalists on Twitter you know saying to the Colts fans rethink your life what's wrong with these people yep. stuff like yep. that um and here like this I, I will about two hours after this happened and when it, and once it sunk in, I was upset. I was mad. But one of the thoughts going through my head was, this is pretty weak to walk out on your team two weeks before the season starts. Pretty weak. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I have to think that that was probably a lot of what happened or what was going through the minds of the of the Colts fans that were booing. I'm, I'm generally anti-booing, so I don't, I mean, I... I wouldn't have been a, that person anyway at the time. Um, but when that was first reported, I absolutely understood the emotion. And I'm glad that in the days after, we've had probably our the, the two biggest sports radio personalities in our country, Colin Cowherd and Clay Travis, come out and say, the Colts fans did nothing wrong at all. Um, that was nice to hear because it's true. Give people a break. Is sports a big deal in our lives or is it not? Because if it is, give people a break when they're emotional and something happens. When, you, when you're going into a season and you care about something a lot and you think, hey, we have a chance to win a Super Bowl or a championship and you know, this is something that um, you know, these guys are dying. I mean, this was, this, is what, this was Clay Travis's point. This was in the fourth quarter of a preseason game. The people there are diehards. They take this stuff way too seriously. Um, and you know what? This is an emotional thing. This is something that people put a lot of time into and they put a lot of money behind. And so when you do something stupid and emotional, it's understandable. You don't need to question people's motives. It's just an emotional outburst and it happens. And so with me, I was upset. I was a little angry. And then when I took a step back, when I listened to his press conference, when people started uh, talking about the injuries and what he's gone through and when you heard him speak for the first time, 
that anger and everything completely flipped to empathy and just disappointment. And that is all. And so I, I, I'm glad that that, has, that, that that idea has kind of taken hold and people accept that now. Um, this was just a really shocking moment. And sports, you know, in the, in the greater scheme of things, they're not important. But at the same time, we all live in, a, in, in the real world. And the reality is people in this country takes, like, take sports very, very seriously for good or for ill. And it just happens and we're all human for it and it's okay. And so, and then on, on, that, on that note, I just want to get to Andrew Luck as the human. That press conference absolutely broke my heart. And I just, I have a lot of empathy for the guy. And I understand just as someone who, and obviously not at his level, I've experienced the last two, three years pain and, um, uh, and, uh, uh, and physical things that just don't go away and you try to fix them and they don't and it's just a, a, the, the, the process, it really messes with your head a little bit. And so I completely empathize with that. And when you, when you, when you go down the things that he's experienced, like a, a lacerated kidney and all of the stuff he's had done with his ribs, he's had a really bad concussion, he tore a labrum, um, you know, I can totally understand the decision that he made. And so I wanted to say that. And then the, the third thing I wanted to touch on, a thing that I saw... Um, that I saw mentioned a lot uh, amongst like the the intelligentsia in football in the wake of Andrew Luck retiring was this general consensus that hey football is in trouble now this is a sign that football is in trouble and I just want to get my take out there and my stance on that and I want to be absolutely clear about this that's a really bad take it's a really bad take I don't think football is in trouble I think Andrew Luck is a very very unique human being and I, I don't think really anyone but Andrew Luck would have made this decision. There's a reason this is the first time this has ever happened. And I think Andrew Luck is just a really unique guy. And so I don't think anyone needs to freak out about the state of football after this. I just think it's a narrative that, frankly, is, is a very overrated narrative that has taken hold of the media in the last handful of years. Well done. I got to commend you. That was a lot of really good stuff, Grant. And I don't have anything to add because whatever I would add is not going to be as well thought out as what you had there. So I, I'm with you on all of it. I agree with you 100% on the first part about it with uh, the takes on the, the fans and the booing. I, I haven't listened to the whole press conference. I've just heard sound bites, but it got the guy obviously cares a lot. That's no question. And then, yeah, you're exactly right. There's, football's not in trouble. That's just – it's a narrative for some reason that a lot of people in, in the media want to push. I don't know why. I mean, they, a lot of these people get – Get, make their livings through football in a lot of ways and for some reason they want to move this narrative that gets dying or it's follow the not. data the data bears out that football has never been more popular than it is right now so just stop with this it's not football is not in trouble it's it's never been more popular let me bounce this off you real quick because i this is this is the way my brain works whenever the whole booing thing happened and then you did a good job of explaining yeah all the blue check marks and then uh there is a a, a very uh, locally famous and nationally famous in some ways sports anchor in Dallas that had a take on this that I saw on Twitter and it's it's all the, the take of man these fans need to get a life they're losers essentially I can't believe they would do that blah 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 and and that take to me is like that's the easiest take ever it's like guess what like we all agree that that Andrew Luck's a good guy and yeah booing's probably not the best thing but at the same time 
like you said, it's an emotional thing. And I, I'm glad you brought up Cowherd and, and Clay Travis as well, because I heard Cowherd today when listening, and I thought his take was really good about that. I think it was one of his best takes ever. And I don't want to go through it now. If you care, you go back and, and you go and listen to his take. But here's the thing. You mentioned like a lot of it is it's an emotional thing, right? And you boo, you're diehard, you boo because you're, you're emotional. That's what sports is, and you're right. I mean, is it important or is it not? So in a way, are those that immediately see that story and then have to go on Twitter or Facebook or wherever it is or on TV and then immediately just chastise those people to virtue signal about how much better of a person they are than those fans? In a way, aren't those people also just as emotional as those Colts fans who had to boo during exactly. that? Exactly. Yes, and which is why which is why I don't want to crush them that much, because in the same vein, that was an emotional response from them as well. And I and, and I so hope that's the point. I think is take a step back. Everyone has emotions. Every fan base has diehards. You might think that your fan base is different. It's not. Every fan base has people that are like that, and that's just the way humans are. So yeah, and and I. I'm with you. I think a lot of those people probably took a step back and did all the things you did, and, and it's okay. It's just the, the thought process of having to go out there and immediately say, those people are terrible, and guess what? I'm awesome is essentially what they're saying whenever you tweet something like that. It's like, yeah, we, we get it. Everyone kind of knows that it's a crappy thing to boo, that situation. You don't have to point it out just to make yourself look better in comparison, and that's the way my brain works when people do that publicly. It's a way for them to chastise somebody and then prop themselves up, which I think is kind of gross sometimes. So, yeah, I just think just that's that, it's okay. I mean, allow mm-hmm. allow human beings to be emotional at times because that's that's just a big part of being a human. And this was the the essence of this Andrew Luck story is his humanity, is that he felt like he needed to step away for his humanity. And I think we all need to remember that. Um, and it's just, it's just an unfortunate and sad and disappointing story is all. It doesn't need to be a referendum on anyone's character or anything like that. All right. Well said, well done. Our next podcast will, we will have had a game to watch and talk about. Can't wait. It's a Sunday night kick six 30 OU in Houston. Grant and I will likely record the podcast. Oh, actually, Hey, I found out that the presser next week grant is on tuesday so we'll be able to get up monday because you're going to be off labor day monday right and we'll be able to get up monday morning whenever we get going and we'll be able to record the podcast whenever we want to monday because i'll be off work that day so we'll try to get the podcast out to you as soon as we can on monday after the game and it should be fun until then for grant i am lee this is west of everest